Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. Uh, Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, God, with our hearts that uh, perhaps even in this moment, God, feel empty. God, because of uh, circumstances and situations in life, Father God, this world continually drains our hearts. And Father, we confess that we come to you in desperate need of an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this place today. So, Father, we ask by the power of your word, you would transform our minds, that you would transform our lives, that we would leave here different today because we've encountered the living God of the universe. Father, we thank you for that, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you've asked yourself, how in the heck did I get here? Every day, amen, right? Like, yeah, me too. And that's places called every time that Don and I have had to relocate to some new state. And for those of you who might not know my or Don's story, um, before we arrived here in the great state of Wisconsin, we spent three years in North Carolina. And North Carolina had just felt like home to us in some ways because it just naturally was a fit for the ways that God had wired us. For example, Don and I love the sunshine and warm weather. We have a natural affinity for the ocean. And before you can even say it, because I've already had this conversation with multiple people in this room, the lake is not is not like the ocean. I don't care how much you say it, it doesn't make it true. And we also like North Carolina because if you've been around Don and I for any amount of time, you probably know we have a hard time being on time for things. And so we enjoy the more relaxed southern pace of life in North Carolina. And uh, when we first moved there, though, it wasn't always that way. We were actually pretty mystified by some of the different things we encountered in North Carolina. In fact, if you haven't been there, they call it the land of the pine for a reason, because there are pine trees so dense that you can't see an entire shopping complex behind them. And not only that, they have this really weird custom of using pine needles for mulch. It is the strangest thing that they use them to put them in their gardens, their pathways, all over the place. They use pine needles for mulch. Another thing that was foreign to our hearts is that the term, bless your heart, does not necessarily mean that they are blessing your heart. I had to find that out the hard way. I thought people would say, hey, Nick, bless your heart. I thought, oh, they're blessing me. And no, they were really just calling me an idiot. So um, that was something that was foreign to us. And then, of course, what the heck was a Harris Teeter, which is essentially the North Carolina equivalent to a Piggly Wiggly. It's their grocery store. And just as we were finally starting to feel at home in North Carolina, we were on our way to Wisconsin. And all these new cultural differences that we found in Wisconsin sparked all kinds of humorous conversations between Don and I about how the heck did we end up here? 
Every time we got offered squeaky cheese, every time the tornado siren reminded us that it was Wednesday, every time we had to put booties, booties on my dog's feet because they couldn't walk outside, it was so cold, we had to laugh in just befuddled amusement how God in his infinite wisdom chose to bring two people who were baptized at that point, Southerners at heart, to live in the Midwest. And as a result, the truth was is that each time we moved, we found it difficult at times to find a deeper sense of place. For example, we live here in Wisconsin, but we still occasionally feel like we're foreigners journeying through a cheese-filled land. And as with any situation in life, when we find ourselves in a place that doesn't feel like home, I think it's easy for us to begin to focus on our external circumstances instead of perhaps the purposes and uh, circumstances for which God has us in that place in the first place. And consequently, as our perspective shrinks and we begin to narrow our focus on ourselves, it's also true that our sense of purpose begins to shrink and we begin to feel perhaps even limited by the place that we live. Because the truth is, when you only see yourself, you have a hard time seeing others. When you only see yourself, you have a hard time seeing others. And that was honestly the case and has been the case for Don and I at different points in our journey. Every time we've been in a situation, a new place that has felt uncomfortable or hasn't felt like home, we've been tempted to begin to focus on our external circumstances. And every time that we've done that, every time our eyes have got more focused on ourselves, our purpose in that place got smaller and smaller and smaller. So instead of seeing the opportunities that might exist right in front of us, we daydream about those opportunities that might exist somewhere else. Or instead of seeing the needs of the people in our city, we very quickly can start complaining about how our city doesn't meet our needs. And so over and over again, we found that sometimes, man, we struggle with feeling limited by our place. Our purpose feels limited by our place. Now, I fully understand that that's just Don and I's experience. And for some of you sitting here this morning, the idea of Wisconsin or moving somewhere doesn't necessarily resonate. And so maybe your place is someplace entirely different that doesn't feel like home. Maybe your place is one of those places that elicits negativity as you focus on your external circumstances. Or perhaps for you, maybe that place is a place where you feel like your purpose is being suffocated and choked out of your life. If I were a betting man, I would hazard a guess that there are probably many in this room this morning who would say that their work or their place of employment is one of those places in life. Can I get an amen? <laughs> because let's be honest this morning, church. If it's not now, it has been at some point in your life more than likely. It maybe it was a boss that you didn't like. Maybe it was a coworker that you didn't get along with. Maybe it was long hours, not enough pay, or the work environment was toxic. 
But regardless of whatever the circumstances are or were in that environment, every time you've walked out of the doors of that building at 5 p.m. on a weekday, you question and say, not only how did I end up here, but I feel like my purpose is being limited by this place. And instead of focusing on perhaps the opportunities that God has placed in front of us to love and people and to share the light and love of God, we start daydreaming about all kinds of things. We're daydreaming about our quitting stories or maybe the ways in which we'd love to tell our boss off as we walk out that door. And I get it. I've been there. I've had those same thoughts. And maybe it's not work at all. Maybe for some of you in this room, that place is a school where you struggle to fit in. Maybe it's a neighborhood where you don't feel accepted. A church where you feel unknown, or maybe even a social club where you feel like my talents are being underutilized. Whatever the place is, and it's one of those or many more, we come to a position where we get overly focused on our external circumstances instead of seeing the opportunities that perhaps exist right in front of us. And maybe for some of you in this room this morning, maybe it's not even a physical place that you would say feels like it's suffocating my purpose. Maybe for some of us in this room, that place that feels most foreign to you is an emotional state of being. Because things like chronic disease, depression, um, anxiety, or even mental illness can all start to make us feel as though we are foreigners in our own bodies. And when you wrestle with things or feel trapped by things like pain or mental anguish, it's easy to begin to feel like my purpose is limited to just the daily act of survival in that moment. And so my question this morning is this. Is it possible, church? Is it possible that regardless in every place that we may find ourselves, whether that place is physical whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, that God's, as God's people, we are not divorced from purpose in that place. Now, let me be clear in this moment about what I'm saying, because there are some jobs that do need to be quit because it's a toxic environment. And the pain that some people experience from some illness or malady is real pain. This is not a pie-in-the-sky sermon this morning. There are realities to those areas. However, my challenge for us and my question for us this morning is this, that even in those places where we do not feel comfortable or perhaps where we do not want to be, is it possible that in those places that we can still have a deep and meaningful sense of purpose? And so the good news is this morning is that God's word is not silent about this issue. God's word speaks directly to this issue. In fact, the ancient Israelites um, at one point found themselves in a place that definitely did not feel like home. And despite their circumstances, through the inspired words of the prophet Jeremiah, God speaks directly to them and tells them, even in that place, you have a purpose. So I want to invite you to this morning, if you've got your Bibles, perhaps your Bible, physical Bible or a Bible app, crack those babies open. If not, uh, we'll have the verses on screen. But we'll invite you to turn to Jeremiah 29. 
And we're going to discover God's word to the Jewish people about purpose and then see how that might apply to our circumstances today. And so we're going to start in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4 through 7. And this is what Jeremiah wrote to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. He says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build your houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city for which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if the city prospers, you too will prosper as well. And so before we can jump into some of the specifics of what God said to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, I think we would do well to understand exactly what is happening in this moment. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 1, if we were to jump back just a few verses, we get some crucial insight into the state of the Israeli people. As it tells us that Jeremiah pens this letter to the Jewish people during a time when they were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That is the specific words that are used in the NIV. And I want to challenge you this morning, don't miss the gravity of this moment. Because as we read the Bible sometimes, we get into a habit where we just do it, we sanitize God's word. We don't stop to actually think about what's happening in that moment. But that verse in Jeremiah 1, contained within those seven words, is the entire suffering and pain of an entire group or people or nation in the people of Israel. Because due to their sin and rebellion against God, the Jewish people had been invaded by the Babylonian army and conquered in 597 B.C. And as a result of that invasion, the Jewish people literally lost everything that they had. They lost their loved ones. They lost their homes, their beloved city of Jerusalem, their language, their culture, and even the familiar expressions of their religion as the temple of God was literally laid to waste after the Babylonian army had come through. If there was ever a people who understood what it felt like to be in a place that didn't feel like home, it was the Jewish people who were exiled in Babylon. And so God speaks this word to Jeremiah. He says, hey, Jeremiah, I need you to write a letter to my people who are in Babylon because they are awash in purposelessness and being focused on their circumstances of the moment. And so Jeremiah begins writing. And in verse 4, he opens his letter by throwing an absolute haymaker into the face of the purposelessness, the purposelessness that the Jewish people were feeling in Babylon. And he writes this. He says in verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, if Jeremiah was writing his letter in an old-time Batman episode, as he's penning verse 4, you would see the words bam and pow and kaplowy above his head as he's writing. 
Because Jeremiah is seeking in this moment to rock the hearts and minds of his readers. Because he tells them this, that it was by God's hand that they were carried into exile. In other words, you did not end up in Babylon by happenstance or by accident. This isn't some random chance that you are in Babylon. Their exile was orchestrated by the divine will of God. And it meant that even when Israel found themselves in a place that they didn't want to be, that God was there with them too. And not only that, and perhaps even more importantly, it meant that their God was at work in that place and that they had a purpose in that place. And so if we were to apply Jeremiah's words to us today, I believe that means for us that God is sovereignly in the middle of every circumstance or situation we may find ourselves in life. And just like the Jewish people of uh, Babylon, we might not necessarily like the place where we find ourselves, whatever that may be, but that does not change the fact that our God is there and at work and that we have purpose in the midst of those circumstances. Think about this for a moment. Jesus, in Matthew 28, 20, said this. Before he left earth, he said, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And I love these words from Jesus because he leaves no room for exception. He doesn't say, hey, man, I'm going to come hang out with you when you're out fishing. Or when you've got tickets to the 50-yard line of a Packers game, I'll be there for you. Call her at your boy. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, always, in every situation, I will be there with you. And then the Apostle Paul expands upon this idea and adds further significance to Jesus' words in Romans 8.28, where he says this, and we know that God causes everything to work for the, together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Again, we see the absolute statement of God that in everything, God is working for the good of those who love him. And the truth is, church, that as followers of Jesus, we have a secure hope that no matter where we find ourselves in life, not only are you not alone because Jesus says, I will be there with you, but in the midst of that circumstance, he says, I am working and you have purpose. Here's the hard truth, though, this morning. This is the moment that I love you moment. This might kind of hurt a little bit moment because I had to deal with this myself this week. The hard truth is that some of us, myself included, are complaining about circumstances and situations that God has divinely ordained in your life. Ouch. And that's not to say, church, that every negative situation, every difficult situation that we encounter in life is divinely brought about by God. But that does mean this, that just as the Jewish people found themselves in Babylon as a result of their own bad choices, sometimes we find ourselves in places because of our own sins and failures too. But even in the midst of those places, that does not change the reality that our God is still sovereignly there and involved in that circumstance and working to bring about his uh, purposes and glory to his name. And some of us are so busy 
grumbling and complaining about the circumstances, the very circumstances that God has ordained to bring in our life, that we miss the potential of God's blessing and purpose in those circumstances because we just desire to get out of it. We just want, get me out of this. I just want to be out of this. And, and, and things that are hard are hard, and we want out of them. Don and I have gone through a season recently where it's been difficult for us, and there's been times we've wished we were out of it too. But there is blessing that comes from heart. There is blessing and goodness that comes from the hard things of life. And if we invite God into those things, there is purpose that comes out of those as well. And so my question, or so the the question that we are left with then, is that what possible purpose could God have for the Jewish people in the midst of this exile in Babylon? And consequently, what can we learn about our purpose in the places that we don't feel like are home to our hearts either? And in Jeremiah chapter 7, or verse 7, he explains this. He says in verse 7, Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so after instructing the Jewish people to build their homes, to get married, and make them babies— God says, all right, now I'm going to focus your attention on the purpose that you have in this place. And he commands them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city of Babylon. And that word peace in the English language um, and prosperity is actually two words, but in the Hebrew language, it's actually one word. And it's a word that Michelle shared with us earlier today. It's the word shalom. Shalom. And the fact that the NIV uses two words, peace and prosperity, to describe one Hebrew word points to some of the complexity and the nuance of this Hebrew word. And while peace is definitely a definition of shalom, it is only a single facet of a very intricate word in the Hebrew dialect. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or wholeness. And so you might see somewhere in the Old Testament that they would call a piece of rock, a mason stone, a shalom stone, because that rock was perfect and without any cracks. Or somewhere else in the New Test- or Old Testament, you might find shalom referring to a completed wall that has no bricks that are missing or no gaps in the wall. It is complete. It is whole. And so in the Old Testament, when we hear the word shalom, it's referring to something that is very complex with a lot of different pieces, but at the same time is in a state of completeness or wholeness. And so the core idea of shalom is that life is complex that it is full of moving parts and relationships and circumstances. And any time one of those things is missing, any time one of those things is out of balance, then our life is no longer in shalom because our life is no longer whole. And so when that word shalom is used as a verb in Jeremiah 29.7, it literally means to make complete or to restore. So we see in God's word that he is commanding the Jewish people to seek and pray for the shalom of Babylon. Seek and pray for the shalom of Babylon. He's telling them that their purpose was to actively pursue the restoration and completeness within their communities. In other words, when they found themselves in a place 
that they didn't want to be, they still had a divine purpose to bring God's shalom to the city. They still had divine purpose to bring God's shalom to the city. Whether that meant bringing shalom to broken relationships, into their businesses, or places where they encountered injustice and oppression, their purpose was to bring God's shalom to the city of Babylon. Now, obviously, this is a command that God gave to a very specific point in time to a very specific people group in the Old Testament. However, this is where it applies for us. While the Jewish people were to be about the purpose of bringing God's shalom into Babylon, that shalom was always going to be a limited or muted form of shalom. Because as broken and flawed people, their shalom was going to be broken and flawed too. And so we see in Scripture, as you open up the Bible and begin to look through the prophecies that are in the Bible, you see Isaiah begin to foretelling about a future king who is going to arrive on the scene, and Isaiah calls him the Prince of Shalom, or Peace. And he says this prince is going to bring a reign of shalom with no end, that there will be peace with no end, and that as a result there will be a time when God will make a covenant of shalom with his people, and that as a result he will heal all the brokenness in the world. He will take that which is broken and make it whole. And so that's why we see in the New Testament that when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, he is heralded as the arrival of Shalom. In fact, in Luke 2.14, the angels say this, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And Shalom, or if we're reading the Greek New Testament, Irene, which is the same word as Shalom, on earth to those whom God is pleased. And Jesus himself promised to be the shalom. He promised to offer that to others. He said in John 14, 7, Shalom I leave with you, and my shalom I give to you. And after his death and resurrection, his disciples started making claims that Jesus had brought shalom between broken humanity and holy God. And that's where we see in Romans 5, 1 that Paul writes, we have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The core tenet, the the, the biggest principle upon which the New Testament rests is the idea that Jesus restored wholeness or completeness to our broken relationship with God. And so when we think about shalom in our lives today, Jesus is not a form of peace. Jesus is peace. He is not a form of peace. He is peace. He is the literal embodiment, the ultimate fulfillment of God's shalom on earth. As Ephesians 2.14 declares, for he himself is our shalom. And this is the big difference between the shalom that we are called and given purpose to bring into our communities and that which the Israeli people were called to bring shalom into Babylon, is that the shalom that they brought into their community was based and dependent upon their imperfect agency as people. But the shalom that you and I are given to carry in is not based on myself. It's not based on yourself. It's based on a perfect and sinless Savior. So that when we go and proclaim shalom into our communities through our words and our actions, we are proclaiming a perfect shalom. 
that is able to heal and restore all the brokenness we encounter in our community that has been ravaged by sin. That means that as we actively seek shalom here in Slinger, here in Washington County and beyond, we do so not only through the proclamation of shalom, the gospel of shalom to people, but also through diligently living out our shalom in our community. The truth is, church, this morning is that in Christ, we have been given a purpose that is bigger than our place. We have been given a purpose that is bigger than our place. And I was thinking about this um, today um, and this week as I was preparing the sermon, and I was reminded of a story um, of a friend of mine who has been struggling with issues in his marriage. And before you start looking around the room and like, wonder, is he talking about me or somebody else? Stop it, okay? I'm not talking about anybody in this room. I'm not spilling the tea here. You don't need to worry about that. I have a friend who has been struggling with his marriage. And every time that we've gathered to either pray with one another, to discuss, to seek God together for the restoration of his marriage, one of the things that he says over and over again that is the biggest challenge that he faces is that sometimes the issues in his marriage seem so vast that he doesn't even know where to begin. It's kind of like a boat that's sinking but it has not one hole, holes all over the place. And you're looking around on this sinking boat, and you're not sure which leak to plug first. And that's what my friend feels in his marriage. And so one of the things that I've practically tried to encourage him to do is do something, right? Start somewhere. Pick something and start to move forward because doing something is almost always better than doing nothing at all. And the reason I share that story with you is because I think at times it probably illustrates well how many of us might feel as we consider using our purpose to bring Christ shalom into our communities. Because I don't need to tell you this morning, church, that we live in a world that is broken, All you got to do is turn on the news, scroll through social media for any amount of time, and you can see that almost daily the fracturing of our society and of our culture. And in the midst of that moment, it can feel almost overwhelming to our hearts. That heart-wrenching news that we see every day can feel overwhelming and almost to a place of where we don't know where to even begin to share Christ alone with our community. And so we do what we oftentimes do and what sometimes comes natural to us. Rather than actually doing something, it's easier and more comfortable to do nothing at all. And so we default to kind of the obvious thoughts and prayers. And that's not to say, church, please hear me in this moment, that's not to say that prayer is not an important part of shalom. It is. We need to be a church that prays. We have a team of people here every Sunday morning that is praying for you and praying for our community. But prayer is only a facet, a single facet of seeking shalom in our world. In fact, the book of James tells us that a faith that is a faith only in word and not in action is indeed no faith at all. In fact, James 2.14, he writes this, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you have, but you don't show it by your actions. 
And then we see James just a few short verses later saying that that kind of faith is dead and useless. And in James' mind, it was inconceivable that the gospel of Jesus Christ could be divorced from the physical activity of bringing Christ's shalom, His peace, into our communities and into our cities. And so if the truth is, church, if we've got a purpose in Christ that is bigger than our place, that purpose does not do us or anyone else any good if we decide in the face of evil and brokenness in our world not to use it, but instead to hide it and put it away or just to hunker down in our churches. Does nobody any good. Not only can we be a church that is actively proclaiming Christ's shalom in our community, but we need to be a church that also is practically living that out. And as I was talking with Dawn about it this week, she said, it's kind of like, Nick, we need to put shoe leather on our shalom. I said, that's brilliant. I'm going to steal it. Because it's going to remind me daily that when I wake up, that not only am I a participant in the shalom of Christ, I receive Christ's shalom, that I need to actively pursue Christ's shalom in my community by putting shoe leather on my shalom. So my encouragement for you this week, church, is this. It's the same encouragement that perhaps I have given to my friend with his marriage. Choose. Make a decision this week to start living Christ shalom somewhere. Somewhere make a decision to commit to putting shoe leather on your shalom. Invite a neighbor over to your house that you don't know for dinner. Have them over to your house for dinner. Check in on a friend that you haven't spoken to in a while. Help a single mom with her groceries. Write a note to a coworker to encourage them. But commit to doing something. Because I believe that no matter what place we find ourselves in life, that if we live out our purpose of bringing Jesus' powerful transformational shalom into our communities, we will find that we have a purpose that is bigger than our place, even in Wisconsin. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.